Hello and welcome and thank you for downloading another episode in this extraordinary podcast series. <laughs> oh, extraordinary. Yes, I like is, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Books of the Year. Yes, it is. Extraordinary. Well done. I think we've been doing all right. Yeah, we have been doing okay. And it's good to see that WH Smith are now putting stickers on books. That's right. As per our request. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's right. This is Simon's Books of the Year, brought to you in association with all our very good friends at They're WH Smith. They're all very Smith. good friends. We never doubted them for a minute. Would you like half a pan of chocolate with that, Matt? <laughs> yes, the answer is I would. Certainly, yes. <clears throat> so, uh, our guests on the show, Levison Wood, who's written, uh, who's the explorer and photographer, and author. He's written Arabia and also going to be talking to Anna Chesinski and Dan Schreiber, who are two of the elves who, uh, from QI and No Such Thing as a Fish, have put together the Book of the Year uh, for 2018. Yes. And they're about to do the Q&A. Yes, which is always fun, always entertaining. Uh, so Rachel's been on here, good and lively Q&A session. This is from our, uh, from our last show. I enjoy listening to the podcast first thing in the morning with my pint mug of jasmine tea. Pint of tea? I used to have a 50-page rule that if I wasn't enjoying a book by then, I would give it up. This was challenged as I got to page 50 of The Girl with Dragon Tattoo and it hadn't grabbed me at all. A friend strongly urged me to pick it back up and carry on as she said it's all the setting up of the background story and financial information up at that point. But you must carry on because it's absolutely fantastic. Well, of course it was and it ended up hooked on the whole trilogy. Happy Thursday, guys. Oh, no, it's Tuesday. I'm all confused today. <laughs> anyway, Rachel is just sending best wishes with her team. And, and you can, of course, get in contact with us on Twitter, which is what Loose D did, saying, uh, listening to your Anthony Horowitz uh, Q&A and now messaging my 20-year-old in panic to check that he remembers me reading to him when he was small. Um, and also Leonie Tab A, slot B, uh, tweeted us to say, that was fab. Loved Marcus Zusak saying that he reads at the breakfast table. Makes me feel better about reading reading with my kids about and not always devoting 100% attention to them when we were at the breakfast yeah, table. Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was quite an informative yeah. Q&A. And Ant- it was Anthony who said he, he didn't have any stories read to him. Yes. How sad. Ever. But I think he's kind of more than made up yes, for it. Yes, he has. Uh, since uh, on the subject of our friends at WH Smith, Angie, Angie Kusky rhymes with Husky. Yeah, so you can tweet us at Books of the Year. You can email Books of the Year at yahoo.com. Look what I found in W.H. Smith in Maidstone. A whole shelf with a label beneath it. I'm especially enjoying W.H. Smith thinking that your latest choice is the wonky donkey and that the light reflection blanks out the naughty word, which is not really naughty <laughs> at all. But it, it, so, we, so we have a, a photograph of the Books of the Year logo, Simon Mayer's latest book choice, and it's the wonky donkey immediately above. But you can't actually see whether it's wonky or whether it's something else. Yes, and, and it is worth saying that other books that we've had on the podcast also feature correctly under that uh, on, on that shelf. I love the way that you say Yahoo, like Yahoo, as opposed to Yahoo. Well, I mean, how am I supposed well, what you I, say? I, 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 every time we do it, I always find it very, well, it's rather warming that you say Yahoo, books of the year at yahoo.com. Which is which is fine, obviously. Books of the year at yahoo.com. At yahoo. Yahoo.com. Yahoo, yeah. I think <laughs> I, th- I think you've gone slightly crazy. Oh, it's all me, is it? Anyway, um and Donna says, uh found this in WH Smith and Yeovil. Onwards and upwards, guys, loving the podcast. Beetle of Bud, JK uh-huh. Rowling, uh, with Chris Riddell, da da da. And that's again on one of those lovely WH Smith shelves. We're so happy with our friends at WH Smith now. I'm going to go in and stroke the shelf. Yes, I'm going to go in and compliment everyone on their choice of books. Right, uh, stand by, here comes a mega Q&A. 
Okay, so we're going to tackle our Q and A first, and uh, we, this is—I was going to say it's a three-way, but that would sound oh yeah wrong. So we got uh, Leveson Wood, we have Anna Chesinski, we have Dan Schreiber, and they're all taking part in the Q and A. We're just going to—if there's anything that you you've got no answer to, that's fine, and we'll just move on. But we'll take it as read. Okay? We'll just silently judge you. If you yes. No <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. You haven't got an answer to how you label your books? <laughs> okay, so here's the books of the year Q&A. Uh, the last book, Levison, should we start with you? Levison, the sure. last book you really, really, really enjoyed. Well, after reading um, Homo Sapiens, I read the, the the next one, Homo Deus by Yuval Harari, and um, I just, you know, I thought it was fascinating. The... Um, uh, this sort of rather dystopian look at how how the future might pan out. So, fascinating read. He's an amazing man. He he came on the show. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. Many, yeah. Many, yeah. many moons ago, and he has one. He's one of these people who just has a brain the size of the yeah. of a planet. Yeah. Yeah, I bought loads across. of people that book. It's... Sapiens. I read. I think I've never read a book that has something amazing on each single yeah. page yeah. in the way that that book does. It's, it's and blows your mind, resets your mind about how we came about, and yeah, that idea of the age of man. Being, I always thought that the evolution of man that was all different times. They were all there together. That's a family portrait. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that, that whole thing about the difference between Homo sapien and Neanderthal, and how if it was one Neanderthal versus one Homo sapien, the Neanderthal would win. Yeah. But if it was a hundred Neanderthal against a hundred Homo sapien, then the Homo sapien win because we organise and talk to each yes, other. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we could talk about that. Or we could... <laughs> so that's Levison's. Uh, so obviously you're not speaking together, so you have your own choices. So the last books you really, really enjoyed. Anna. Uh, I think uh, it would be How to Be Both by Ali Smith. And also I realise I've chosen like all fiction books in this and we're non-fiction writers, so sorry about that. Mm. But, um, you can choose what you want. How to Be Both is, yeah, it's amazing. So it combines loads of stuff I love. It does a little bit of time splicing, so it's set in two different times. It's set in modern day, and then it's set kind of Renaissance era. I love a historical novel. You feel like you're really in there with this character who's a painter. It's got a great twist, which I won't say, which gradually becomes apparent through it. And just the way she writes is, like, her prose and the way she plays with narrative structure is just really exciting, I thought. What's the twist? <laughs> right, you've He's got a to ghost. You've got to cut it out. That's Dan. Um, yeah, I'm going to lower the tone slightly. I just finished, and it is genuinely my favourite book of the year, a tie-in Doctor Who novel um, that was written by Stephen Moffat himself. It's the only book that he's ever written, and I was a big fan of the Matt Smith era of Doctor Who, and this book was called The Day of the Doctor, and it was the 50th anniversary special. He did it as a novelization, and he's as good in prose as he is as a, as a screenwriter. Um, it's honestly an incredibly hilarious book with great scientific ideas and great adventure. And I know it's a kid's book, but it's uh, I loved it. Well, cool. speaking of kids' books, then, is there a book that you remember being read to you as a child? I do. I remember when I was about maybe seven or eight years old, um, I w we were staying in a and b with my, my parents, and um, it had a great bookshelf. And the one that I picked out was called Paddle to the Sea by Holling Clancy Holling. I don't know that one. No, it's um, it was, you know, it was a children's book but it had a profound impact on me and it was about a, a young Native American boy who carved a little wooden um, canoe and then he placed it on top of a mountain and then as the snows melted in the winter and, and into the spring it follows the journey 
of this little wooden canoe as it is. It makes its way through the Great Lakes and all the rivers through North America um, and, and humanises this little carving and it's amazing and, and I remember this story of adventure and thinking you know one day that's what I want to do <laughs> brilliant <laughs> and yourselves uh, I think I remember the earliest book I remember being read to me is maybe we're going on a bear hunt uh, I feel like yeah, all those yeah, books yeah, yeah. where they had a tune um, and also I never understand how everyone knows the same tune like all it is that everyone knows that we're going on a bear hunt that's I mean, I know a well that's not really a tune is it yeah there's it one different note that's in there no, it's yeah. it just <laughs> One note followed by another. Well, that's a tune. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rhythmic chant, isn't it? Really? It's more of a chant, you're right. But everyone has the same chant when they're read it, and I don't know where we all get that. But also one of my earliest memories is related to that, is going on a walk as a really young kid through some woods with my parents, and my dad spotted a teddy bear, which was, like, in the hole of a tree, halfway up a tree, and he said, oh, look, it's a teddy bear that's been left behind at the teddy bear's picnic. And so that's been my teddy bear ever since that I rescued from that situation. Had your dad planted the bear there? I'm not going to comment either way <laughs> on what I think might have yeah. happened. <laughs> I actually read that book for the first time last month. And You're quite behind, aren't you, in terms <laughs> yeah. of your reading levels? Yeah, well, I've got a one-year-old, and so I've just been trying to read him stuff, and that was never... I never grew up with that book. And um, just... I, can I ask a spoiler alert kind of question, the ending? Mm -hmm. Was the bear good or bad at the end? He's on the beach walking away... Did he want to play or is he sad that he didn't get to eat them? I can't work that out. I thought he was bad all the way through, but right. I might have forgotten the ending. He's on a beach just he looking. He certainly does look sad, yeah. doesn't he? I think it's maybe up to up to you to it's open to interpretation. Wow, God. Yeah. So this is this is how am I gonna bring up my child? Do I want him to a sad or an angry bear? That's the yeah. my moral dilemma. Um, my book is actually a bear book as well. It was the Berenstain Bears, um, and it was called um, The Bear Scouts. And I don't know if you remember the Berenstain Bears. They, they're a collection of books, Jan and Stan, I think, Berenstain. And um, it was just a story of a family, and they always used to go on adventures, and the father would always have these huge mishaps along the way. So in this one, they go camping, and the kids are going to be scouts on their own, going on their own. And the dad says, no, let me come. And it's all in rhyme, and he messes up every single point along the way, and they have to save him, but he still insists that he he knows better than a than a book that would tell him what to do. And they're bears, are they? They're bears. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's fiction, but okay, it's uh, well, yeah. yeah, it's not oh, Wood. I see. Uh, <laughs> classic adventure. Uh, whose books do you own the most of? For me, um, well, I've got I've got, actually got a full collection of Kipling um, and George MacDonald Fraser. Actually, um, I remember when I was a, a young soldier, I, re reading the the whole Flashman collection and uh you know that that was sort of um a good way of learning history in a in a slightly offhand way but but quite entertaining the thing i love about your answers so far levis is they're great explorer answers all of them are exactly <laughs> yeah. what we would expect you to say uh okay Anne and dan whose books do you own the most of anna um probably i pilfer a lot of books from my parents house when i go so i actually don't personally own that many but probably dickens i think i probably own almost all of dickens um, which is a very boring answer, but I love the man. He's amazing. It's a pretty good answer, really. Yeah. Um, Spike Milligan for me. I Spike Milligan wrote over 100 books, and I think I have, I'm missing about three, I would say. Um, and a lot of them were sort of pumped out as just a lot of collected poems, or some of them were novels. 
Um, and I was obsessed with them when I was a kid. I started collecting them, and then I realized that it was a collection to be collected. So I haven't read any of them. I've just, I just need them. <laughs> it's just a thing for the shelf. Okay, here's a question where you need to be honest about this. How long do you give a book before you say, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to happen? I mean, obviously, most books you'll enjoy and you'll relish and you'll go through right to the end, but there obviously are always going to be some books that you don't. So how long do you give it? I try and fight through for uh, at least a chapter, and if it's if it's not getting me by then, then that's wow. it. That is the shortest so far. And honest, well done. A, ch- a chapter. Well, that's you know they've got one job, haven't they, writers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like ten pages or something like that, maybe. Good for you. Quite right. Yeah. Yeah, you've got stuff to do. I feel like your life is busier than mine. <laughs> I have tried to read Infinite Jest because so many of my friends have told me it's the best thing they've ever read and I've been trying to read it for genuinely for about three years. I mean, it was sitting on my bedside table for two years, about 120 pages in. I hate it. I don't get why people love it. And yet, I'm kind of still trying. 120 so. pages? Yeah, of about 1,000. <laughs> It's pretty rough. Um, I tend to have a few books on the go. So I, and we do a lot of research for our jobs. So if it's nonfiction, I don't necessarily start at the beginning. I'll, I'll dance in and out the middle bits yeah, and, yeah. and go to the index. And so um, if it's a novel, I reckon, yeah, sometimes I don't get past the prologue, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to yeah. be a car chase and an explosion exactly. in the opening two pages. <laughs> exactly. There needs to be time travel, a doctor who's flying through space. Uh, reading habits come next. Where and when do you read? the most Leveson. Uh, for me it's you know planes trains and automobiles for me it was whenever i'm on the move um which is most of the time really so it's it's trying to catch a few hours here and there um in between stop-offs dan you're going next um i i actually i read all the time i so i i walk when i walk i came here today i walked from our office in Covent garden i read along the way i i've got an ability now to have a sort of peripheral look up occasionally while you I'm read reading. while you're walking yeah yeah i do and it's and i do it on the tube and i do it when i'm walking between tube stations it's sort how of second nature how many people did you knock down on the way here <laughs> a lot today. of old women are, are yeah. still laying on the sidewalks um no i um it, it's either walking or mainly the bath i love reading in the bath um so i have a bath every day in order to read and <laughs> just to read yeah it's my it's my it's my chill out uh, temple the bath and um i read i just read all the time i usually have two to three books on me at all times um so every yeah i just read yeah. imagine how much reading you'd do leverson if you learnt to walk i know and i've read. been trying that i've been trying that for for many years but i've not mastered it yet yeah. anna i would say again on transport yeah planes and trains i think anywhere where there's no other distractions it feels like being on a train is free time where you don't have to do anything else and you can just get stuck in so yeah a long journey is there a method to how your books are shelved? Do you put them together by genre, by author? Be honest again, Leveson, come on. Well, I've got like a sort of little study um, at home and I, I've just clustered them by genre, really. Good for um, you. They're not, they're not particularly well organised. I need to go through and... But I quite enjoy that. I enjoy sort of ripping them yeah. off the shelves and pulling them back. Yeah. <laughs> Mad. I have no order whatsoever. Uh, maybe size. You know, I don't like the look of a massive book next to a tiny one, but aside from that, they're all really just thrown into a bookcase and then, like, explode out of it because bookcases can never contain all your books for more than about five minutes, can they? Yeah. And yeah, then uh, your house, I dread to think what your house is like, Dan. I feel like you can't move for books. I have, yeah, I have, a, I have a rotation system that goes on. So whatever is my interest of that month, let's say I suddenly got into Yeovil Harari again, I would pick all my science books and I would put it above... The television. I, 
I feel like my bookshelves are a sort of statement about what's going on at the interest of my brain at that particular time. So if, if Spike Milligan takes over, they come down, they go to a back bookshelf, that comes up. Oh, I love it's this. Just a, it's a constant <laughs> rotation. Oh, yeah. Almost daily. Almost computerized. Yeah, it? It's exactly. like what's on your desktop. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's just a filing system that's forever changing with the interests of what's bubbling away on the inside. Well, you're constantly promoting and demoting your book. <laughs> I am, yeah. yeah. The first book you bought with your own money. So for me, this was um, actually a Tony Robinson book. Um, it was his version of the of the Odyssey, um, and that again, it was something that left a, a lasting impression on me about this—the whole concept of um, you know going on an adventure. And, and in later years, when you read you know Joseph Campbell and the Hero's Journey, and you kind of all make sense. But for me, that was that was a game changer. You know, the the, the Greek mythology um, and how it how it sort of basically um, directed Western literature ever since. Dan? Um, just quickly, I know it's going to sound weird because, again, it's a kid's book, but I did read that the other day. <laughs> yeah, and it's co-written by Richard Curtis. Yeah. So Richard Curtis has written a, nice, with yeah. Tony Robinson this kind of trilogy of yeah Greek myth, which is oh, very wow. exciting. Have you read like every book? We're going to mention. <laughs> it's, just, it's just bizarre coincidences so far. We will hit one that I don't know. But um, I, uh, for me, it was there used to be a comic book series when I was growing up in Hong Kong. It was big in America. I don't know if it was big here. I'm pretty sure it wasn't, but called Calvin and Hobbes. And oh yeah, 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 yeah. Calvin and Hobbes for me that was the first time where I remember going. I'm going to use this money to to buy this, and it's going to be mine. And um, and yeah, I still have my Calvin and Hobbes's back at my parents' house that I had from childhood. And those were the game changing books for me because reading them again as an adult, they're basically philosophy. It's they're these extraordinary ideas between a kid and his imaginary stuffed toy tiger who becomes a real tiger. And um, and he's a recluse now, Bill Watterson, the the author. He, he went J.D. Salinger on it. He sort of just quit. And he had all, it was at the height of Calvin and Hobbes and merchandise deals were coming in everything. He said no to it all and he's retired and he doesn't, hasn't done a single pane of comic stripping ever since no for way. about 30 years or something. Goodness me. Wow. Anna. I think when I first started earning money when I was like 15 with my cafe job, so the first book I bought with my own money at that time was also when I was quite pretentious and angsty, so I think it might have been a book of Philip Larkin poetry because um, I loved him at that time. That was before I realised that he turned into a kind of weird fascist in his later days. But, yeah, it would have been that. OK. Is there a book... Now, again, this is one where you need to be honest. Is there a book that you've ever used to try to impress someone? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was trying to win back an ex-girlfriend, actually, and um, I bought her an early edition, very expensive, um, Oscar Wilde, the, the Ballad of Reading Jail. Oh, right. Yeah. Did it work? No, it didn't. Oh. Because <laughs> it was a book about jail. <laughs> wow, work. you're so romantic, she said. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Not <laughs> bitter. Enough on that Good. One. Yeah. Um... I'm not sure. I no doubt I did in my early days. I know the book that most people lie about having read is 1984, um, but I suspect I will. I think I might have claimed to have read some Thomas Pynchon or something when I started first going out with my current boyfriend, just in case he was impressed by that, which, again, I don't think he was. It never works. <laughs> but, but he's your current boyfriend, so it's not a catastrophe. Despite that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, same with me, my wife, um, my, my current wife. Um, I, <laughs> I impressed her, I think, by claiming that I'd read... Um, 
uh, the lightness of being. What's um, it? Um, unbearable, unbearable yeah, lightness yeah. of being, which I had not read, but that was on our first date. But you saw the movie, so it was all okay. Hadn't even seen that. I oh, just, really? yeah, oh. I just, I just said I'd read it and then tried to quickly move on the conversation. <laughs> I didn't realize it was the book that changed her life. She was like, "Oh my god, we got to talk about this." <laughs> no, <that's laughs> I thought it was just a casual. Yeah. Does she know now, or is this going to be a revelation? This for is her? if she listens to this, I'm done. That's yeah. divorce time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is there a book finally which? you wish you had written this could be uh, for financial reasons artistic reasons mm-hmm. jealousy respect anything Leveson is there a book that you thought, oh I should have well I mean I think for me it would have to be Paolo Coelho The Alchemist you know 65 million copies down pretty <laughs> formulaic but did remarkably well and actually it's still an absolute page turner and, and for good reason Anna I think I wish I'd written the Wolf Hall trilogy mainly because uh, it would be good to have won two Booker Prizes and also it's done very well. And also I've been waiting for about eight years for her to release the third and she hasn't. So if I was able to write that and read it myself, I think that would be ideal. Mm. So, yeah, that's that, very good. Hilary Mantel. OK, Dan. Uh, there's an American writer who's um, he used to write for Saturday Night Live, and he's called Simon Rich, and he writes short stories, and he's virtually unknown, I think, in this country, unless you happen to have stumbled across his books. But he's a short story writer. He writes a lot for The New Yorker, and the stories are just crisp and perfect. They're, they're comedy stories, and he was the youngest writer ever on Saturday Night Live, and he's taken up by Pixar to work on movies like Inside Out, and he's, he's just a brilliant mind. And every time a story gets released by him, I almost feel the comedy world shiver and go oh god is it is he back what's he gonna do and we just have to pretend that it doesn't exist because it's it's too good it's just too good a comedy of voice and mind to him simon rich yeah okay so we'll look out for that uh so that's been our books of the year q a if you hang around for a couple of days you're going to get our full books of the year interview with anna and dan and levison wood coming up very shortly